Welcome. This is Rad Talk with Tracy, the podcast. This is a place where you can discover what's possible when people impacted by reactive attachment disorder inspire change and build community through sharing their stories and expertise. I'm Tracy Poffenroth Prado, and I'm your host. I'm really glad you're here. Let's get started. Welcome back, everybody. This is Rad Talk with Tracy, the podcast. And today I am talking with Leslie Brunner. She is not only a rad mom, but she's an educator. And so we're going to skip a lot about her rad story. And we're going to talk more about what it's like to be an educator and working with kids with reactive attachment disorder in the classroom. So Leslie, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's so good to see you and have you here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here with you. We were talking a little bit before and you were saying what I, what struck me was that you were saying that you were an educator before you became the mom of a child with reactive attachment disorder. And so you said something like you, that's when you really got it. You yes. didn't get it before. Can you talk about that? <laughs> so, so yes. Yeah. So I'm, you know, a teacher. I was a teacher for 10, 10 years before we adopted um, our children that, and one with reactive attachment. Um, I was a special education teacher. So I worked with kids with learning disabilities and cognitive disabilities and behavior disorders, you know, and all kinds of things. So not only had I been trained, but I mean, I had 10 years of experience with this, you know, so even you know, when you're going through the adoption process and they're asking, you know, what criteria, you know, like, when we know about these kids, you know, what do you feel like you can handle almost, you know, in your yes. home? What do you feel, feel like we weren't, sh- we didn't feel like thing, you know, there were certain things that we were shy about in that because I'm like, okay, so we have some experience with that. My husband actually is also, um, he teaches psychology. And so between the two of us, we're like, okay, you know, like we can handle that now. Um, right. however, there were, <laughs> there's, there's however, yeah. however, so <laughs> Before we adopted, like there were still some kids that would walk into my classroom and they'd be under this label of they have a learning disorder and or a learning disability. And there were things that they would do that would not fit that mold, you know, and I'm like, well, that's strange, you know, and I couldn't explain it. And I was trying to do and the interventions I knew that worked with kids with the, you know, those typical needs weren't making it weren't influencing these. And I didn't know why until after I then have my son and experienced rad in my home. So talk a bit about what were you noticing that was different? So you've got these kids with a diagnosis or a label right. of uh, learning disabilities right. or whatever it is. What wasn't matching? The behaviors they did. The behaviors. <laughs> so there yeah. are just some extreme behaviors that would just um, happen. Some of the ones that I remember the most, um, when was when I was teaching in a, um, a junior high. And so, you know, and I'm working with kids who are going through developmental, you know, some big growth milestones during that time also, oh, yeah. but, you know, it's like, I remember there was one kid and I, I wasn't aware, like I, I was aware that he had had some trauma, like his parents had disclosed it a little bit, but I wasn't aware till a lot later, what extent it was, okay. but he just had some, there was some, um, some physical intimidation things that he did. And you're just like, well, that's weird. And 
to other kids, to his peers, it was a lot more aggressive, but he right. did, he did some passive aggressive things with some other adults that it was just like, you know, where it was just, just different. Like he yeah. was the kid that you wanted to be in a classroom and it was just you and the kid. And that's right. Not typical, you know, um, there was, because we work with kids all day long, you know, there was another kid who I remember a boy that he would go to the restroom and walk out and take the, um, he, he would do things with his poop around our school that that's not typical, you know? So these are some, no. right. these are not kids that were labeled with, um, behavior disorders or conduct things. They were truly just learning, learning issues, but yeah. you're like, that, that doesn't match. There's nothing like no. that. Right. And especially working so long, you know, after 10 years, you come to recognize that. Um, and was he, was that one child when you worked with him, you were talking about, he was aggressive. Mm-hmm. Did you, did he do that with you as well? He did. Yeah. And yeah. so, and, and not at first, that was the other weird thing is that it wasn't something that was immediate where it was more, it, it grew and how he was aggressive with you grew as he got to know you more. Right. So the more you also, worked with them. Right. Which is a complete opposite. You know, usually the more you work with the kid, the more trust that's there, the more, you know, and they're like, oh, and then it's the things start to click. Exactly. Yeah. Know? Right. And this was the complete opposite where the more you worked with these kids, like, you know, and that was just a couple examples, or, you yeah. know, but and so, so but, you're wondering what the heck this is not making yeah. sense at all. Right. Right. <laughs> right. 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 So yes. what did you do with that? Did you, I mean, was this, you just work with them and then eventually over time, tell me, tell me what happened with all that back in my inexperienced days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've all been there. We have been, <laughs> um, you know, you do what you, at the time I did, I just followed protocol of I'm like, you document things, you have, you know, their behavior charts are the, you know, well, let's do this that way. It'll keep them compliant, you know, which I know now are like, don't work at all. Don't, you know, that type of thing. Not at all. Um, Yeah. So I did that, you know, unfortunately the hardest part with school is when you enter with that, you also have these disciplinary steps that have to go through with some kids. Sure. Um, And I've learned that there's some kids that kind of seek out those disciplinary steps really as a way to, you know, so there's those things, um, that honestly, as I looked back and then I will tell you though, after I had my, um, I took a few years off when we adopted just to help our family acclimate and that kind of thing. And then once and I had a very, we had a very good family therapist that worked with us that taught me attachment and taught me, you know, all oh, of that what needs are from, for my son. And at, when I stepped back into the classroom, like those kids with those needs, those developmental traumas, you know, possibly read and diagnosed, like they were just like blaringly obvious because you could just suddenly I could see like, okay, that is very different, you know, now. And so right. it was just a different tactic that I would a use. A big, there. yeah, a big aha moment. And right. it must be frustrating because you can't be the only one, the only teacher. So good for you for having at least the insight or recognition to know, hey, these behaviors, something's up here. I don't know what it is. And just to keep watching for those patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, and that must have been very difficult to work with those kids, because like you say, you work with 
the children that come with their diagnoses. And as you work together and you get closer and it just becomes easier and easier. And so working with these other kids who aren't fitting the mold and it's getting harder and harder, that must've been very stressful and exhausting as a teacher. And as I think your job as a special education teacher is already tough and exhausting. So throw that in the mix. Right. Well, it's, I mean, those are the things like I almost hit burnout because of that, because I didn't know what I was dealing with and nor was I trained for what I was dealing with, you know, and I'm going off of the diagnoses, which are often either comorbid or, you know, or inaccurate, you know, it's like a child walks in and if they say, well, they have ADHD, then you follow, like, here's the interventions, the accommodations make for that. And then as that goes along, if it's not working, you're like, oh, well, I, I, you know, it wears you out because I'm working harder than the child is. Right. And you're not seeing progress. And as a teacher and a special educator, right. You want to see that what you're doing is making a difference, even a small amount of progress. And were you seeing that that must've been, that must've contributed to that sense of burnout. It was weird because there were, it wasn't like it was the same every day, you know, and I always say that's one of the things I like about teaching is because it's not the same every day, you know, I go in and it's, but this was so unpredictable of, I didn't know which child was going to show up. Was it going to be the one that was compliant to what we needed? Was it, you know, was it something about the environment that I was helping create there? Or was it something about whether they experienced home? Like I didn't, didn't know how extreme. And were you the only special education teacher? Did you have other people to talk to, or was this just something that you were going through on your own? And like you say, following all the protocol protocols, all the therapy interventions. Oh no, I was, I was in a very large school. So there were 10, at least 10 of us that were intervention and special ed teachers. And we had a gamut of, um, you know, I was in charge of mild, moderate, we had a different area for severe. So understand these that are walking to my classroom aren't severe cases of what our students were, you know, what their needs were. And that's why it was, you know, it just make me shake yeah. my head a little bit, you know, but I, I worked, you know, with teachers from his, their previous years, you know, and it's just, but it was always, it was interesting also because as I gather information from the previous um, special education teachers, the way that the behaviors came across the previous year were very different. They would say, oh no, we didn't, they never did that, but instead they did this. And you're like, okay, so why is it completely different now? You know, and now I know that, that, you know, that rad kind of customizes itself right person and (laughs) so there's a good question so but did you notice with the reports from previous educators or teachers did you notice that they were it might have been different but were they struggling too and were the other people in your school struggling so there's 10 of you and oh yeah yeah nobody had an answer for what to do it was and you know we were always the struggle with that also is that I mean, in a school building, our goal, the goal that is set forth from a teacher is you need to teach them how to read. You need to teach them how to do these math things. You need to do, you know, so there are all these academic goals, but the struggle with this is like, how do I even begin that whenever I, where you have all of these symptom, these behavioral symptoms that are coming across first that we aren't able to intervene with in order to get those. So 
Right. And that's very hard to work around because I've been in healthcare for 20 years and it's similar, you know, there are certain goals, but I might have to modify my goals because I can't get to those until I deal with a behavior or something that's happening in order for them to be able to get to the place where they can work on that goal that we've set. So it sounds like that's, that's what you're experiencing, or that's what you were experiencing is like, well, Hey, I'd like to work on that, but this kiddo's got so many behaviors. We can't even sit down and work on that until we deal with this. Right. 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 You know, right. Yes. Yeah. So you came back. So you, it sounds like you were lucky and had a therapist that was, you know, somewhat aware or aware of attachment. And so you come back and it's this big aha moment. Like, Oh, I get it now. I see this. I see the trauma. I see what's happening. What was that like? Let me give you a snippet of that time where I wasn't an educator. So, you know, just to walk you through that. So, you know, I'm like, um, my son moves in and he moves in with an ADHD diagnosis, you know, and, but then he started school and the behaviors, things that I was experienced that I'm getting the behavior reports that I'm getting from the teachers just started popping up the frequency increased and that kind of things. And the things he was doing did not match with um, ADHD at all, you know? And so I, and, you know, so you do as a parent, you know, I did what I know to do. I'm like, okay, I'll communicate with the teachers regularly. I'll make sure I, you know, work with my child through this, you know, but I'm like, he's stealing stuff and hiding work and using foul language, you know, and he's in kindergarten and, you know, and I'm like, and there was even one time where he, uh, this pair of underwear he came I have no idea how you come home in a pair of underwear wow. that's not yours you know and I'm like <laughs> right strange things you know you're just like and I'm sitting here going well that's kind of strange and then so we decided because of the frequency of strange things that didn't match ADHD that since I am a teacher so we homeschooled him the next year so we meaning I homeschooled wow. him so I- um but that's truly when I learned as a teacher, like that's when I saw it because when I was sending him to school, I saw it as a parent, but whenever I taught him and, you know, at home. So that was where I learned that, you know, he, it was for a while, Mm -hmm. every day was a fight. Um, with me, it was very passive aggressive, you know, it's like, whether it was, I, what, you know, learning to read something or learning how to add certain numbers, you know, and it's just like, it was this, like almost, I can't do it, mm-hmm. but he could do it. So that was like, opened my eyes where I'm like, wow, so you can't, right. but then why is it whenever it's an engagement with me that you can't like, yeah. that was a huge thing that taught me like, okay, so I see that they're capable, but when it's engaging right. with me, you know, as an, as an adult, like something changes also with that, you know, it was, um, things that he could do quickly, whether it be a worksheet or something would sometimes just take all day. So I had to really learn like my expectations while I had consistent expectations of what was going to be learned or done. It might be either inconvenient for me, what, you know, but I had to stick to certain things or it might be done in a way where I didn't see it to be done originally. And so I always say my aha moment was whenever I needed to know he could count to a hundred. That's like something, you know, that's on every, you know, at that age. And so there was the hundred chart that's there and he was supposed to write his numbers to a hundred or put dots in it, something. And his pencil kept breaking, you know, and I'm like, 
and his yeah. pencil wasn't, yes. you know, he was breaking his pencil. And I thankfully, like I said, the, um, the therapist we were working with had taught me, he goes, you know, he goes, sometimes you have to reach this point where you say, okay, here's two options because this pencil keeps breaking. And so, you know, so I, this was my moment where I said, okay, your pencil keeps breaking. I'll sharpen it this last time. And here are the two options. If your pencil pencil doesn't break, great. You can just fill in this hundred chart and be done with it. If it breaks again, then here's a bottle of glue and you're going to break the pencil into a hundred pieces and you're going to glue those on because then I still will know that you, you know, and I, I didn't right. answer the because I will yes. still know, but that's in my head, you know, and so I had to change that. Keep in mind, I can't stand a pencil being broken, that like <laughs> destruction of a pencil <laughs> like that. So, but I had to like go of that, you know, and the whole idea is, so he broke the pencil. He, he was not happy when he had to break it into a hundred pieces, but I will tell you not a pencil broke from that point on. Um, and so it was, it was kind of like the, here's the two choices for this power struggle. And, you know, and so, but until that moment, you know, that's, you know, was my moment that I was like, okay, this is how we do some of this, you know, and it's, it's just, and sometimes it was, you know, it's like, he'd be doing um, a worksheet and something that should be done in five to 10 minutes. And we have to go to the grocery store. So guess what? It's on a clipboard. You're going to the grocery store. You're going to keep doing this while, you know, and people might look at me or think I'm strange, oh, yeah. you know, as a mom, yeah. a child, you know, <laughs> and, but I had to yes. let that go and just say, because what I'm doing yeah. is better for okay, him. Okay. What you just said there is huge because it's hard. We have to parent so differently and we put ourselves out there. You know, you said it like people were probably looking or thinking that I'm strange, but you did it anyway, because yeah, it's, you found something that's working for your son and that's what you do overall. Right. But we have to, we do have to face and take a lot of looks and strange things. And I was thinking you're really lucky that you're, when you gave those forced choices, those two choices, that you didn't get a meltdown. Did you ever experience that? Oh, he melted down while he was breaking apart the pencil, but he kept breaking apart the pencil, right? Because, you know, because I I think I think I also remember saying, and when this is done, right. then we're going to do this, but right. not until this is done, you know? And we had been through that enough already before that point. And so, um, yeah, so I dealt with meltdowns, dealt with tantrums, public or private, you know, and that type of thing. and it's you develop a thick you do. skin for it. You know, I mean, it's thick as your skin can <laughs> right. get with that. How did you manage that year, Leslie? Like how, I mean, being at home with your son and you've, uh, do you even know he has reactive attachment disorder or, but you have some understanding from the therapist? Right. So yes, my therapist who was trained in attachment and he had kind of suggested he goes this might be more than just you know attachment issues right you know and so he had suggested that but my son was very young you know and it's hard to and he had been living with us you know less than a year so there was all those components that we weren't ready to follow through with that kind you know of diagnosis yet and so I, I mean, I'm honestly that year was exhausting but it was just a different kind of teaching so I don't know. I just look right. at it as I learned a lot that year, you know, I'm like my, my son, I, it was also a chance to reset him to here's what our family expects, you know, for that time in his life, you know, and that worked and here's what we value. So 
there's a lot of mixed emotions sure. from that time because it wasn't easy. It was exhausting. Um, my husband would get home from work and I'd be like, okay, so I just need a break, a breather because this is, you know, because I just, I need to recenter right. so I can be mom now and not, not in a constant struggle. Cause now my other three are here also because I have more than this one child, you know? And so it's a lot to manage just from, you know, the child's perspective and making sure their needs are met and that you're helping them. It's a lot to manage, uh, as a parent, but then also as a parent of someone with special needs, you know, that's right. It's a lot. Right. Yeah. Right. But I mean, that was also eye-opening for me because like I said, that diagnosis of ADHD, I learned really soon. I'm right. like, that is not what this is, you know? And so then it's also dealing with the, okay, so it's not that. So what do I right. do with all of that? What is this is, and how do know, we work with this? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So utter confusion is the first <laughs> it is, step. For right? sure. Cluelessness, really, you know, just like in the, in the dark, I know. And I think that's what happens to a lot of parents is whether you're an educator or a parent, mm-hmm. you've got this child and you're trying all the things, the typical things, well, this is happening. So let's do a chart. Right. Right. Because with attached children, that works because they want to, they want to do that for you. They want to connect with you through that way. But for these children who don't have that attachment, it just, it honestly just gives them an outlet to say, well, exactly. Yeah. And so we try all those things, but you're in that moment of, but I think every parent knows like you did as an educator and a parent is that this isn't right. What, I don't know what this is, but this does not match. Uh, something's up, right? Right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I walked back in the classroom after, you know, that, and, um, you know, and honestly, I, it, that came, all came unexpected, you know, also of just what the, the, how our life would go back with that. And immediately, like there were kit. I think the first thing that just struck me was I'm like, oh, a power struggle with a student isn't as scary anymore. Like, right. You feel like you're equipped to handle it. So yeah, it's manageable. Right. Yeah. Right. So like classroom management, disciplinary things, you know, whereas before I always felt like it had to always be with, you know, and with most of our kids, it's very clear, like you do this, this is going to be my reaction, you know, and with, a child with this developmental trauma, it was, you know, who wanted to engage in that power struggle. It was like, wow. Okay. So, you know, this time, this is going to be my reaction. And this time, both times I'm going to react calmly, but what's going to happen Mm -hmm. with you within that situation may not be the same, you know? So, cause they'd want you know, whether it was a consequence, you know, and, you know, or a loss of something, like if it's, not the same every time it makes it so that they aren't right. knowing what to right. expect and can't really control it or try and manipulate it. Right. 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 So the only thing that's consistent then mm-hmm. is what's expected mm-hmm. of them. I love that. So, so when you went back, did you, now you teach differently and you can manage situations yeah. differently. Have you done anything more with that? You know, in services, trainings, or are you just managing, you know, it's enough to be an educator. So I know I'm throwing a lot out there. So Yeah. Yeah. So, um, recently I have started, um, working with rad advocates, um, to 
teach educators about right. just some do's and don'ts, you know, and just even about the awareness of this in your classroom. Join one of our support groups today at radtalkwithtracy.com support. I know you might be feeling unsure about joining a support group. You might feel intimidated or you just don't know what to expect. We get it. We know exactly how you feel. And I'm here to tell you that joining a support group is one of the most amazing things that you can do. And I promise you won't regret it. It's a place where you can talk with other rad parents who get exactly what you're going through. And not only do they offer support, but a lot of great ideas. And we even do a lot of laughing too. So please join us. We would love to see you there. Radtalkwithtracy.com slash support. What are some of the do's and don'ts? <laughs> so um, one of them is, I mean, a lot of it is just an awareness. It starts with an awareness because it's a big thing to be not just aware of what the child's needs are, but also how the, what the family's needs are with that child in this development of trauma. So, you know, um, you have a child that walks in and if the hardest part is go for it, divert here a little bit. So the hardest part is sometimes I don't even know. It just depends. You know, if you've got a family that's aware of their child having a developmental trauma versus a family that's like, well, it's, you know, like I was of like, well, it's, I, I, have been told it's ADHD. Right. So I'm treating it as ADHD, you know, and a lot of that though, I've learned that, okay, so I'm working with this family. They say that it's ADHD. However, this child is doing some things that are right. outside the right. box of that. And also I've noticed, you know, the interventions I'm putting in place, you know, and that's a big thing for teachers to learn that, you know, a lot of the diagnoses and mm -hmm. not just ADHD, but there's some other ones also, you know, that pop up often train us to do accommodations and interventions that actually flare, I right. just say that flares up the rat. And going back to awareness quickly, you know, um, because what, how can educators or even parents get awareness or what, I mean, just listening to this, because sometimes we don't know, you know, a teacher might not even know about trauma or, um, they just see that something's right. not matching that in itself is awareness, but how would a teacher right. or what could they do an educator or a parent when they're like, Hmm, like you were, this isn't matching. Right. Um, so I, I think I speak more to the families on that side. Like it, I mean, it is hard to be a family raising yeah. these, children, these kids, you know, but it's also our responsibility to, um, to figure out how to share and teachers don't have to have the entire story of our children, you know, but they do need to know, Hey, listen, our kid has a background and they have a past and it's trauma-based and they have triggers and I may or may not tell all the details to you, you know, and your job as a teacher is not to dig for the details, you know, but your job as a teacher is to let me know if you, you know, because if the, if my child is telling you one thing, you know, whether it be about the work you're doing in school or about their home environment or about something from their past or something that you're like, wow, that's really personal. And why would they share that in this thing? Like, I need you to communicate that to me. And I'm doing you also the service of telling you up front, like we have right. a team working with this child. This is not just about us at home and 
you at school. This is about, I have other multiple other people in this child's life. And our whole goal is to try to teach this child that adults and following the um, instructions right. of adults is a safe So it thing. sounds like a conversation between parents and teachers and being open. I mean, not right. explicit, but open enough to know. And when you hear the words right. trauma background, right? Abuse, yeah, neglect, things like right. that. That's a red flag right. for teachers to start going, okay, I think right. we have to treat this differently. Yeah. Right. And the hardest part that I know as a teacher, because, you know, we are, as teachers, we are there to care. We are there to, I mean, that's, that's how, you know, you are, it's just a different role of parenting, you know, you're educating, you know, and that type of thing, right. but you care about this child growing and when this child comes to you with a trauma history, one of the things that teachers have to recognize is mm -hmm. that is from their past. Um, um, it's changed their brains. The children, their brains are telling right. them they're still in trauma. But you as a teacher, one of the things you can do is to help that child not dig into that trauma more because that's not your role, but to instead help that child be reassured that they're in a, it, I'm so mm -hmm. glad you're in a good and loving family. You know, I am so glad that you are able still to do this, you know, you know, to complete this work, even though right. that happened to you in the past. Acknowledge. Validate, right. If yeah. way of validate, yeah. but help them move on, you know, yeah. and not constantly let their brain think that they're right. constantly living in trauma. And so, and sometimes, you know, it's hard to get caught up in the details from the trauma because they have some, my son had an awful story. The children I've worked with, you know, since then, they some do. of them have awful stories, but the thing yeah. is, is those are stories from their past and they are, they mm -hmm. can grow past those and, you know, and figuring out what our role is as educators in that story. Right. And I love the unique perspective you bring being a parent and an educator and a parent before rad in the school, you know, and then after and experiencing it firsthand because you bring up a lot of really good points. And that one thing, and I think that parents often struggle is whether it's an educator or someone working at a shelter or an RTC, you know, we all go into those professions because we want to help and we care and we have big hearts and, but also to be aware of that, that caring can sometimes be a negative influence or have negative effects. Right. And so you're not caring when you are facilitating or not working with the family and then creating more issues that the family is trying to change. And you think you're doing, doing a good service by helping. And sometimes there's judgment in that feeling like you're doing the parents don't know, I know what to do. They should be doing this kind of stuff. That communication is key, but I just, I, I think that is a good point that you made is that the caring piece is important, but you also have to figure out and work with the families to make sure you're doing it in the right ways. Right. Right. And I mean, so, you know, just a couple of examples. I had um, one of the students, she's a female student that I taught and her parents were up front with me. Um, they didn't give me a lot of information, just enough to know that you know, trauma was a part of the background, you know, and their words to me were, please just let us know mm -hmm. if there's anything, you know, and that's all it was. And this particular student, um, you know, talked to me about, 
after a few weeks, you know, and I always find it interesting because I find these students that for the first three to four weeks, when every, all the other students are adjusting, you know, and a little more uncomfortable till they get down to classroom management, till they get down, here's what's expected in our routine, you know, these kids aren't the mm-hmm. ones that raise red flags during those initial times, you know, they're the ones kind of sitting right. back learning things, you know, but then after those initial weeks, then it, you know, when everybody else is like, we got this routine, then they're like, no, nope, right. I'm going to be out of routine. <laughs> and so, and it makes you feel as an educator that you've done something uh, to not teach your classroom management. And so, but that's not it. It's the disorder. It is. It's how trauma yeah. has wi- wired the brain. Um, anyway, this student that she came to me, shared something, you know, after a few weeks, you know, and I knew at this point it wasn't, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, and so I, I knew to do the things of saying, well, I didn't admire the problem. I didn't ask for more details. You know, I acknowledged that she, you know, what she told me, I said, I am, I'm so glad that you are in a loving family now, you know, that can help with that. And then I sent an email to, or a call, I think to mom um, and just said, Hey, by the way, this came up today. And mom's response was, thanks for letting me know. I'll make sure that the, you know, so she had a therapist also, and that, that, because it, that she hadn't talked about those, you know, those memories with her parents at that point. But if she's willing to say them to me, who she doesn't know as well, she needs to be, she's, you know, they need to help her say that to an appropriate adult. And that's huge, right? Is when they do disclose something like that, that is heavy for a a teacher to hear checking back and making sure family knows about it. Yeah. Because that is often the case. Yeah. 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 And the same with any accommodations, you know, an educator would do, you know, it's like anything you do needs to be based on what you talked about with the family, not what the child says, you know, because especially as these kids get older, you know, and into their teenage years, they are often like, well, I need to go to, you know, the sensory room or I need to take a break and go to, you know, like, and you have to be very careful as an educator going, is that what's right, right. for their need? Or is that the child? Right. Trying yeah. To is it an actual what? need or is it, yeah, an escape? I'm going to go and yeah, get out of right. here and do something fun. Right. <laughs> that sensory room is right. big for a lot yes. of kids. <laughs> That's the place they want to <laughs> <It> be. <is. laughs> right. I can't. I can't blame it. It is. Yeah. You know, and oh, so. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so just, I want to go back kind of what you, what you said about if you're a parent or an educator to make sure there's a conversation and communicate some of the child's history, or at least the trauma piece. Um, so everybody's on the same page and I love that it's about redirecting it back to this loving family. You're in a safe, loving family. Um, so that the child is aware of that and the teacher can put it back on the family because it's a family issue. And that child sees that the teacher is doing that and not getting sucked in and manipulated or that lack of trust that happens when kids know they can fool a teacher or get them to do something that the child knows they shouldn't have. Yeah. So redirecting that's huge. And the biggest thing I loved was just let us know. I think that would be a great a great sentence for any parent to go in and just let us know because that redirects the teacher and the parent talking again um, and keeping on the same page and having a conversation about it. If the teacher doesn't understand, right. It opens up some, some option for the family to um, explain themselves versus 
something happening in the school, the teacher dealing with it a different right. way, the judgment, and then getting home and hearing this right. happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and I still make mistakes as a teacher where I'm like, oh, for sure. Man, that one, you know, just <laughs> slipped by me, you know, and, and so forgiveness has to happen yeah. with that, you know, I have to like go, okay, so this is, you know, okay. And, but there's also, you know, as I go back to the parent side where there are teachers yeah. who are going to make mistakes. There are also teachers who can't mm-hmm. wrap their head around this. And, you know, and I think before having a child in my home, I, I don't know what it would have taken to wrap my head around this, you know, because I wasn't aware of it. I hadn't been trained yeah. in those specific, you know, in trauma. And the hard part is, is right now there's so much out there yeah. about being trauma informed and there's lots of yeah. trainings on trauma informed, but being trauma informed and being able to teach to trauma, to developmental trauma, no. aren't always the same things because it takes a seeing your role different and you letting go of some of your right. own things, you know, especially a child with rad. I find that they are so often able to pick mm. up on a teacher's and weaknesses. the parents, they find everybody's weakness. Yes, <laughs> they, they do, you know, and they, and they're like, and they have this because it's survival, you know, they're like, okay, so if I know this yeah. is their weakness and the thing is, is they're not going to exploit it always in a way that makes you like, makes is it isn't right. always an aggressive way to exploit it. Sometimes right. it's in a way that just like makes you feel like mm-hmm. you're attached more to this child when the job of a teacher is mm-hmm. not to be attached to the child. You know, I'm like the job, especially for these teacher for a child with these needs is for a teacher to help the child be more attached to the family. And so just rethinking yeah. your role with that of right. how you're helping the family. And that helps. And you're right. We're all human parents make mistakes. Teachers make mistakes. You can't expect anybody. I think the magic is just in openness and conversation and a willingness to work together and, and understand each other. And, you know, I think, I think about this often because you're not the only one who's saying, you know, I've heard a nurse say this and, um, you know, before reactive attachment disorder in my house, I don't know in my professional role, if I would have been able to support or understand, and I equate it to aliens, you know, somebody who talks about, and not that they're real. Okay. So let's just clear that. But, you know, it's a poor (laughs) example. I'm a left brainer, but somebody talking about something that's so unreal, that you have no reference for it in your brain. I mean, we grow up thinking that it's all about parenting and enough love, right? We just parent right and enough love. Eventually those kids will come around. That's all they need. They just need a little more of that. And that's what the general population thinks. And so to think that a a six-year-old can be so manipulative and have this agenda and the ability to cause so much chaos and to willingly do so based on their dis- disorder, not, I think it's right. just so unbelievable. It's like somebody telling an abduction story. Right. Right. Well, it is so unreal because you think of it in layers. You're like, here's the behaviors on the outside. That's yeah. all this chaos, you know, and you're trying to, I mean, honestly, either put out a fire yeah. or put a bandaid on the, that. And at the same time underneath, like, but you're mm. ignoring the fact that underneath or possibly you don't underneath, it's all just survival. Like, while it is manipulative, 
whether that's purposeful or, you know, I'm like, they're just saying, wow, an adult who's trying to get me to follow their rules is scary, you know? And so I have to do this because. Right. I have to keep myself safe and this is how I know to do it. It's all about survival and control and the brain being rewired so much for survival. That's all they know. And it's, you know, it's that part of the brain where it's instant. You're not thinking there's no rational, you know, frontal lobe action going on at all. Right. So they're in there all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, you, you talked about communication and even (laughs) your child's going to have a different teacher every year, you know, and how, what worked with one teacher won't work with the next, next teacher. Like my child has had multiple teachers by this point, you know, and some of the best ones, Mm -hmm. the way they worked with it were very different. You know, I had one teacher who basically said, I know that what they don't get done in this moment, they're going to, you know, he's going to do in this other moment, you know, so he's a survivor. I know that he knows the expectations here and it just may not happen in the same time. I had a whole nother teacher that wasn't, didn't work with him in that way, but instead said, you know, I'm going to let you know what happens, but I'm also going to let you know the bigger, the medium to big battles. I won't let you know every tiny little battle, you know? And so, which I was fine with both because they were both. And that raises a good question because we had, um, like four out of five teachers have been really, even if they haven't been able to understand, they've been accommodating and it's been a learning experience for all of us, but they've right. been open to that. And yep. we did have one teacher who just, again, you know, it's the alien story. It's the refusal to believe or to change your ways. This has always worked for me. Right. And so we eventually pulled our right. child out of the classroom and no offense to the teacher, but it just wasn't a good match and that's okay. But what would right. you, so in knowing, cause that's another great point is the teacher is going to change year to year that can be very exhausting for parents to retell the story, retrain, re-communicate, and then work with a new personality or ideas. What would you tell parents, you know, or how can parents kind of manage that expectation that, okay, we might have a new teacher every year. We don't know who they're going to be. How do we, how do we take that on year after year? Well, one, it's exhausting. So, but raising a child like (laughs) with rad is exhausting. Um, So, you know, part of that is just realizing that you're, there's going to be some years that are limits because of that. Um, But I also look at it as there's layers of communication, you know, it's like that very initial, just communicate part. You may Mm -hmm. not reveal everything, you know, it's like, so, because you have to, you as a parent also has to get to the point where you can trust that this Mm -hmm. teacher is going to listen to the needs of your child, not just like say, well, you know, I, I, you know, I've done this, I've dealt with this, you know? And so, and it's hard because there are some really, really great teachers that don't know how to work with this. I've had that experience also, you know, and, and, but they're really good teachers for everybody else, you know? And so, and so that initial part of just, you got to just put it out there without Mm -hmm. a lot of detail. Um, I think the first layer is just open the Mm -hmm. door to the information and then Mm -hmm. see after, you know, and then the second layer is checking in because 
um, it's one thing uh, to wait for a teacher to say, hey, this happened at school, but it doesn't hurt to just say, you know, when I sent you that information at the beginning of the year, you know, and do this within the first, like, I would say two to four weeks, because it gives them a couple weeks to get to know the routine, your child to know the routine, to know the teacher for them to know, but not, you know, and just say, have you seen anything, you know, how's it going, you know, just so that it's, the first contact from the parent isn't like the reaction of what happened. Well, and I think sometimes we forget that our kid isn't the only kid in the classroom, right? So these teachers have so many <laughs> yeah, more other yeah. kids that we don't know their story and what they're dealing right. with. And so uh, I think you're right. It's helpful to check in with a teacher. And so they might not remember, right. Or have time. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And you know, the dynamics of how your child plays that yeah. classroom this yeah. year might be different than last year because the peers are different. The teacher's different. The environment's different. It is, you know, and if you're right. And if your reactive attachment disorder, a child with a re- reactive attachment disorder walks into that, you know, they're already, they could be feeling right. the whole abandonment issue, you know, from the year prior, you know, and dealing right. with whole nother, And the other thing I tell people things. too, is to, but I just remind parents right. too, including myself to stand strong, you know, reactive attachment disorder is real. What happens in your home and how they act is real. Even though nobody else sees it, you see it, it's real. And so you have to often walk in with your head held high and your shoulders back and speak from a place of the expert and yeah. just have that confidence when you're talking right. with whoever it is, because we really yeah. are often the experts and not to, not to shrink in that and let people know, you know, even if you're challenged, just stay strong. And this is real, this is happening. You may not understand it or know about, but I'm here to work with you through that. Yes. And when you aren't to a place as a parent that you feel strong, then you need an advocate with you that can be that voice for you, you know? And so, and sometimes that voice has to come from, you know, other professionals, other, you know, it, if you've had a teacher who was successful through a year, then they can help be that voice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And get, and it is, it's being strong, but it is also getting, making sure that, you know, who your support group is and bringing those people in year after year. Yeah. And those letters are huge. You know, in one of our support groups, everybody kind of got together and we're passing around letters and ideas. And, and it was really great to see this one parent, who was an educator as well, but she, you know, she's dealing with a teacher as a mom of a rad kid. And so it was really helpful. And it was really nice just to see how much easier it made things for all of them and her transition with her son into that grade. I love how Leslie, you've taken your experience. I love that you've acknowledged how you didn't know. And now you know better, do better kind of thing. Right. But I love also that you've created and your husband, you've created this amazing classroom and in your home and you've gone back to school and you've created that for your students, but that you're also really trying to teach and educate more teachers and educators out there is that, you know, you're just creating this classroom that started homeschooling in your home you've taken back to the schools and now you're making a bigger classroom for other educators. That's, that's incredible what you're doing. Well, and a lot of it is just the collaboration with the families, you know, it's because you say that so positively, but I know the bumps and the bruises and the, you know, all of the hurt that's gone along the way. Like there's been, 
a lot of a lot of tears and a lot you know you know along the way and so this is not I don't consider it a pretty story you know or anything like that but it's more of now that I interact with other families you know and just helping them know it's okay to collaborate with the school it's okay to not hide because there's so many times where I felt like as a parent that I'm like how do I help my son you know and I'm like because it's not like the disorder hides, but the disorder is so, um, it's, it's just so, yeah. And it's so, you know, and how do you help parents learn to say, you know, I know this is your child, but I know you've got some good things in this child too, you know, so how do we work together for that? And, you know, and so, and that can help put parents just at ease, you know, of just having somebody say, Oh, you're not going to judge me because my child just did X, Y, and Z, you know? Yeah. And you know, like any story or challenge behind the scenes, you know, nothing's and you didn't get to where you are today and doing what you're doing without bumps and bruises and lots of crying and chaos. Right. I think every story that eventually gets to this point. Yeah. It's behind the scenes that nobody really sees or knows about is, is definitely there. And that's what I love. You know, you've got both perspectives as a, as a parent, an adoptive parent, a parent of a reactive attachment disorder child, you know, you're a teacher before and after what that's like. I just, I love that it all started in your home and you've taken all that pain and, and craziness and, here you are today, right? Jesus. All that chaos and what I've learned. Yeah. Yep. It's just, it's a, yeah. it, it is. Well, I'm so glad that you were here to share your story. Um, and I love that we have a perspective of what it's like, not only to be a parent, but to teach, have your child in the classroom, interact with teachers yourself as an educator, but then also to be teaching these kids. You know, it makes me drawn to help families though, that are, you know, and just to say, okay, I've walked this, let me walk with you. And, you know, I have to keep my own, you know, Mm -hmm. my own experiences in check with that, you know, and that type of thing. But it's just, this is not, this is not a disorder that you You want any family to walk alone. And so many of us try. It's more of a feeling, not because we want to, but because we feel we have to. So we often feel we have to hide and then we do take it on, on our own. And we're caring parents. And so we go the extra mile and try and figure out all the answers or find them. And they're not there. Well, I think one of the things that makes school such a, you know, where you're never, you know, I'm like every environment, you're not sure. And especially since um, a child with reactive attachment can go out into yeah. the community and it not be seen, but school right. is suddenly this place where right. there are those relational components. And so how it comes across there is very, going to be very different because, you know, because there are, there is that possibility of a relational, yeah. you know, thing happening, which totally scares the, yeah. you know, yeah. the trauma. Yeah. Within them. Well, and I love that you're taking one of those pieces of the community and starting to make a change and create awareness and be a support for parents. So keep it up. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll be back to listen to future episodes. If you like the show, please subscribe and help me spread the word by clicking share and like. If you're a parent who needs more support, whether it's for you or your family, please check out my website at radtalkwithtracy.com and visit radadvocates.org.